Welcome to episode 628 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio Two, welcome along to episode six hundred and twenty-eight of I'm Talk with Coach John Newsom, Bevan James Isles. Hey, go, mate. I'm pretty good. I made it here alive, Bevan. I made it down the the depths of despair. Depths of, down your road, um, but the big question is, can I get back up? Have well, you ridden up there yet? I haven't. No, I don't, I don't really ride bikes nowadays, John. Running up there. From a standing start, it's not good for the Achilles tendons, I can tell you that much. Yeah. You definitely, and I was talking to Joey last night, and I was saying, because she went for a run, I said, did you do the run at first? She said, luckily, her GPS watch takes a bit of time to kind of get working. So by the time you've walked up the road, so I, I'm, we should take a video of you doing it. Well, no, I'll post on, I'll, I'll have a look on Strava, or, or I'll just figure out how steep it is. It's pretty short, but I'm picking it's at least 15% straight out the uh, out the. Driveway. And we discovered this week, John, we can't get our car in a driveway. Mm. So we have to park the car on the street because it's not a big driveway, is it? It's probably three no. metres deep, maybe four or five metres deep. But it's straight downhill. So we've got, a, we've got an empty garage. <laughs> so until we buy a new car, which ain't going to be happening anytime soon, uh, it's going to be an issue for us, John. Wow. <clears throat> I am talking is proudly brought to you by Extreme Endurance. Your lactic buffer. Tanya Pora. Oh, Tanya Pora. A, a great place to take your family or yourself if you want to do some great sporting travel. And our patrons. Let's name a few, Jumbo. Owen, the Sledge Master Hughes. We've got Justin, the Snake Farley. Stephen, the Storm Diodonis. Fran, the Enormous Egan. I'm not quite sure where we got that one from, but I like it. Uh, in this week's show, we've got some news. We've got a discussion of the week. We've got, maybe have an interview, John saying. Yeah, maybe, and we're with a pro if we've got it, so listen in. Oh, we're not going to, it's just, if we've got it, we don't you'll find out. shame if they don't, if they don't rock okay. up. Okay, fair enough. Uh, then we've got Wanger of the Week questions. If the interview doesn't turn up, John, we don't have a lot. Uh, we, we, we we're pad. Yeah, we, we, the, reason, the reason why I thought, uh, it's okay if it's a short show, because this week we've got another Legends of Triathlon coming out. And who's that with, John? We have got Sheila Tormina, and a lot of you guys will have never heard of her, because if you're new to the sport, she was around in the early 2000s, and on top of that, she was an ITU athlete, so if you're in the Ironman world, you probably won't have too much of a clue, so I really enjoyed having a chat to her, it was a few weeks ago that we did it, mm. um, but awesome pretty, chick. Yeah, pretty spectacular career, so she was uh, a world champion triathlete over the ITU uh, Olympic distance in 2004, but on top of that, she's an Olympic gold medalist from America in the 4x200 relay at the 96 Olympics, I think it was. Uh, and then she went to the Olympics twice to triathlon, plus she then went for the modern pentathlon. So pretty glittering career over several sports. It's, it's pretty interesting stuff. One thing she talks about, I don't want to give away too much, but she's ballsy in the way she lives life as well. Yes. Because after she'd done her oh, triathlon don't spoil career, that part. Oh, don't, no, no, oh, don't spoil it, no. That's very, very special and something I would never do. Would you do it, John? No. No, she's ballsy. Uh, okay, Jonbo, so let's look at this week's news. So first of all, we had, you're putting here, is this the best half-distance Ironman performance of all time? 
So last weekend, you will have recalled, last week you will record, we were saying Daniela Reef was going to be lining up against Marinda Carfrey at a 70.3 in Poland. I was sort of speculating that Marinda Carfrey had raced the weekend before, so I wonder if she was kind of going there just for another race. Also her partner um, or husband, Tim O'Donnell, was also racing, so maybe that was another reason for being there. But what we saw was no, no race whatsoever um, on the female side of things. It was... Did, I think it was um, uh, the Mount Snail emailed in saying, does this classify as a, a complete down trap, pull your pants down on the rest of the field? And it, it, uh, what and I'm a, saying... And a half. What do we say? We say dojo domination is 10 minutes and a half, isn't it? Yeah, it's 20 minutes and a full, so I think we must say 10 and a half. So this, so Daniela Reef, I'm going to say this is potentially one of the best half iron distance races you are ever going to see. Now you can't necessarily always judge these things on times and I'm going to get fired up in a minute about records because there's Here incorrect reporting Here again. Uh, but so yes she went extremely fast but you compare it to the male side of the field and the, the difference is pretty minimal. So uh, she her time was 3 hours 57.55. She swam 24 minutes 35. She rode 2.12 and then ran 1.17, beating Marinda Carfrey by 20, nearly 23 minutes, just under 23 minutes. Uh, and then there were some Polish girl, girls uh, rounding out the rest of the field. So I'd say Marinda Carfrey, just put, put that to one side. Who, who knows whether she was racing hard or, or not. But then you compare Daniela Reef to the, the men, she's only a minute 30 down out of the swim on the top swimmers like Tim O'Donnell and uh, Nils Frimhold. Uh, she was in front of pretty much the rest of the men. And then she only rode five minutes slower than Tim O'Donnell and Nils Frimhold, so a 2.12, and then ran a 1.17.40 compared to Tim O'Donnell's 1.14. So looking at those numbers on the male side, you kind of think that's probably, I haven't got the numbers whether it was an accurate course or not, but it looks about right. Yep. Potentially a touch on the short side, but probably about right. So her times are mind-blowing. She's only, uh, what is it, eight minutes behind the male winner. To put that into perspective, I sort of was, was looking around a bit. Uh, the last couple of 70.3 world champs, uh, she was, last year she was 18 minutes behind, uh, around about 18 minutes, I think, behind the winner. She's about eight minutes slower on the bike and about 10 minutes slower on the run. And then the year before, when Holly Lawrence won, she was uh, 13 minutes slower on the bike and 10 minutes slower on the run. So ballpark you're going to say females are normally in the range of probably 15 to 25 minutes behind yep. um, males so for her to be eight minutes is amazing it really is she said um just in the, the media really said um Bahrain endurance sent out she was just saying the run felt um she said today again i'm happy with everything the swim was good on the bike course i was surrounded by men and could push the pace from the beginning which is an interesting comment so i guess <clears throat> some people are going to fire up and go oh she got assistance from all men etc etc whatever it's just yeah don't but, take the gloss but she also off said that. the run also felt good without any problems so i'm happy i've invested a lot of running in, in my running recently so she's obviously put a lot of time into her running mm. john one thing i listened to this podcast with bill simmons and he and it's, it's kind of sparked my kind of interested in the discussion around the greatest of all time but one thing that they often talk about is is because they talk a lot about basketball and they talk about are you seeing the peak of this person really the next two or three years we're seeing peak reef aren't we oh you'd think so i mean well you, i kind of would have thought we'd already seen her peak but uh she is just ramping it up and 
She is she's only thirty one. Yeah, but she, her athletic age is quite old. She's been around for a long time. Uh, so she's gone through the junior ranks. Um, she's had an ITU career. So yes, you know, it's it's she is only thirty one, but I'd say yeah, if, a few more years. But my God, if she keeps this form going. She's gonna she's gonna do a complete Chrissy at uh, at Kona and gonna win by I don't know thirty minutes. Can we see a dojo domination in Kona? That's that's oh you, she's gonna absolutely kill it <clears throat> unless something goes wrong. Yeah, yeah, totally. So mind blown. But it's one of those things that make sure you enjoy her career right now because this is a freak mm. moment in our sport, isn't it? You know, like Chrissy for two or three years there was this this freak moment. You know, men wise you have a couple freak moments. Frodo's probably a bit of a freak moment, but. Mm-hmm. Frodo's not doing what Danielle is doing. Oh, she is just killing it. So. And, and we're saying also, in the last few years, we've talked about how the female games really stepped up. Mm. You know, there was a period where there was kind of one or two, and then, you know, the, the drop-off was quite low or quite high, whereas nowadays, there's some really good female pros out there. She's running a 117. And, you know, again, haters... Give her a break if 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 she if there was some assistance on the bike, you know. Unless she was right up guys, Jaxi, she's still got to bloody ride the course. Um, and <laughs> right up there, Jaxi. One seventeen. Again, I don't care if that's a little bit short. That is an amazing run split. And if she can replicate that anywhere close to that, sorry girls, it's uh, it's going to be a boring kind of race, and you're racing for second. So on the guys side of things, uh, Tim O'Donnell did win that race uh, with a three forty seven. So. On to the second part, and I really don't want to take the gloss off this because I'm just I just thought it was such a wicked performance. Is it is being reported as a new world best. It's not a new world best over that distance because um, I, I was thinking about this last night. I think is it? And then I looked up Hallie Fredrickson's uh, 3:55 that she did at Challenge Bahrain when they had the big money race, and that was against a high quality field, really super fast course. Yeah. But it's not a world best, so I'm just going to try not to fire up, but. That did get me pretty annoyed yesterday. Pick up your game, anybody. Michael Raylu on that same day did a three thirty six. Again, so only what's that 10, uh, 20 minutes difference? Yeah, there, rough nineteen minutes difference. Yeah. So that's what we're kind of looking at. Average probably about twenty minutes between males and females. So eight minutes behind a quality. Uh, okay, here we of go. Guys. What do you think she's going to? What, what do you think the gap between her and the top men at Kona is this year? Because uh, traditionally, what we say normally it's about forty minutes, isn't it, at Kona? I haven't looked it up, but I'd, I'd say I'd say it's in that ballpark. Yeah. Uh, let's go. Th- uh, so let's. The guys could step it up this year. Yeah, but what's, what's the, re- what's the record in Kona? Female. Mm, you uh, look up the record in, in Kona. Obviously, weather dependent. Um, but I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to say she'd be still be forty minutes. Are you still thinking it's going to be forty? Mm. Oh, well, that's interesting. Well, no. Tell me what it is. You, you keep looking up. I'll go through a few of these other results. Okay, wait, tell me what it is normally. But uh, the, the guys are going to be pretty fired up this year. Uh, we also had uh, Norseman over. Did you watch the video? Weekend. No, I did not. What a cool race, man! Yeah. What a cool race. The two things that are funny about the video. So they have a ten minute. They obviously did live coverage. Yes. Um, and <laughs> one of the funny things about the video. So they've got some guy who's obviously pretty good at the media. You know, yeah. he's, he's doing the commentary, and he's and, and like you're only seeing a you know, cut up version of the whole race, and it's ten minutes. It's really cool. Um, and he's a legend. And then they've got the race director next to him, so they've kind of set up. They must have a green screen. Mm. They've set up like a media area, and every time they show the race director, he's just looking <laughs> off to the side. <laughs> He's not even looking at the camera. So I found that quite amusing. Um, but one of the cool things, like, you know what, if I ever did an Ironman again, which who knows if that's going to be on my radar in my life, but that would be on the race. There's a moment in the race when they're coming into the run, 
they start, you know, I don't know how long they're doing the flat, and they and they show you and they say, and there's the finish line, yeah. and, and you know you're at the bottom of a mountain, and you just think, wow, just imagine that moment of thinking I've got to get from here to there, and I've already done that swim and that bike. Yeah, it's it's a pretty special race. So last year in Kona, um, Patrick Langer went eight oh four. I swear this Ironman website does my head in most weeks, and Daniela Reef did eight fifty. So 50 minutes behind last year. She wasn't at her absolute peak last year. So I'm going to say she's going to be 40 minutes behind this year. There we go. Okay, so. Uh, oh, you're going to say 40? Okay, well, let's have a look. So if we look, so Daniel Reef has a record of mm-hmm. 8.46, and that was done in 2016. The same year Frodo did, eight, and he got the record as well, so it was a fast year, 8.06. So that was a 40 minutes difference okay. that year. Yep. And yeah. then last year she did 8.50, and the uh, language, oh, so she's actually 50 minutes. Mm. So but she was a bit off last year. So yeah. maybe maybe 35, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, results from Norseman. Alan Hovda f- took it out in 10.05 um, from Kyle Magnus uh, in 10.15. And Lars Christensen took third in 8.16. Oh, only a minute behind for uh, between between second and third. On the female side. Dude, Harry raced it. Did he Harry did it? Yeah. 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 Medi Peterson took it out uh, in eleven sixteen. Believe she smashed the uh, the course record. Uh, what does it say here? It says uh, Medi provided the course no match for her and smashed last year's course record by forty eight minutes. That's wow. ridiculous. With an impressive time of eleven sixteen. So uh, she was first. Um, Henry Hartenkan. Cajun from Finland was second in 11.22, so again, pretty close racing, only six minutes in it, and then Flora Coleridge, uh, thanks for that name, Flora, it's a bit easier to pronounce, from Great Britain, in 12 hours and 27 seconds. So Alan Hovda, who won the race, I, I just read in a media report after the race, and he was just he said, I was prepared to kill myself to win. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what he said. That was my motto and my mindset. I was eager to get back. Uh, get back and show that I am the king of Norseman. So we won it last year. Um, on to interesting, I, interesting statement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's um, yeah. It does look like a great race. Not right at the top of my my list, but it, it does look pretty. I just think, in regards, you know, like challenge. Mm. That that's a challenge. Yeah, it is. Especially if you're going to you know, like to do it well. Ironman Netherlands in Maastricht um, was on at the weekend. That was a female pro only race. Um, I'm, I'm picking. Given the, t- the, 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 the speed or lack of on the run at this race, that it was probably pretty hot. We know that most of you guys in the Northern Hemisphere are going through a bit of a heat wave. Um, so I, I watched a, a tiny snippet online, uh, and Alice Visser was leading, and it looked like she carried on to win, um, not super comfortably, but um, by, th- by three minutes. She swam one hour, rode five um, hours and 54 seconds, and then ran 3.25 for a 9.31. Uh, breathing down her neck was Yvonne Van Vlerken, who only ran a 3.21. Which is very got, slow for her. Which is slow for her. She got mm. within three minutes, um, but that was as close as she could get. And Sonia... Bruce, crikey, she's from New Zealand and I can't pronounce your name. Is it Brace Girdle? Yes, Brace Girdle from New Zealand. Nice work, Kiwis. Do you know uh, Never heard of her before well, in my life. Sonia, we love you. Kiwi. Yeah. Uh, she came home in third place in 9.38. So very close racing. 9.31 was first and 9.41 was fifth. So only 10 minutes spread over the top five. There was only seven or eight female pros in it. So yeah, I watched a tiny bit of the coverage. Joycey was back on the microphone um, commentating with uh, Michael Lovato, I think it is. Is that a paid gig? You think, you think they oh, fly them out there and pay be. them out there? Bloody hell, yeah. 
Do you wouldn't want to sit there? But how many people were watching? And it was interesting watching that Norseman because I had the video and it was on a Facebook thing. And they had seventy thousand views of that ten minute clip. Well, the the the, uh, the Facebook coverage only is, shows you the live, live eyeballs. And again, when I went on for you know for about two minutes, um, there was like four and a half, five thousand or something oh, watching that time. Not bad numbers. Who knows? I don't. Who knows what the numbers are? So Joyce was doing a really good job on the mic from that tiny little clip that I heard. Uh, the, the the tiny bit that I did see on the bike, they were biking on bike paths. You know, it, it looked really narrow. Wow! But the, the the section that I did see, it wasn't a problem for the pros. There was no they were they were passing the odd person, but it didn't um didn't seem like it was a pro. But geez, there were some seriously narrow sections on there. Uh, and as I said, presumably it was pretty toasty on the run when the you know the top well the fourth female went in three hours ten. Um, but most of the other Females were in the 320 sort of range. We're Ironman Tallinn coming from Estonia. There was an Estonia and um, pretty Good fast close, racing. Close racing. Jeez, Again. Across the field too, across not just field. in like one to two. Yeah, so Philip Courtney took that out in 801 from Mark Dulson in 806 and Marco Albert in 807. So only six minutes covering the top three there. But the, ne- the next guys all sort of four through to seventh there was only another six six minutes sort of covering them and uh yeah all the guys were um not quite all the guys but top 20 were all uh, sub nines so first time they've had this race and yeah we're not seeing the big hitters uh coming out because they're all sort of getting ready for for kona from now on marco albert would probably be a bit disappointed in his uh his home race first time they've ever had it there that he probably didn't pull off the win but still third place better than nothing um, what's ADH? Oh, the Alp d'Huez Triathlon oh, Alpe was at the weekend. Okay. Yep. Uh, so Torsten sent through those results. So many thanks, Torsten. Otherwise, I may have missed it off the radar. Uh, and in first place, we had da, 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 Emma Billum, who came down to New Zealand a couple of years ago for Challenge Wanaka. She won, again, lots of close racing this weekend, 6.51. Uh, 6.52 was second with Alexandra Tondeur. And in third place, Carrie Lester in 6.53. So, again, only a minute and a half covering the top three. So, good racing. On the male side, Freddie Van Laird uh, looked like he did it reasonably comfortably in 5.59.52. He had a seven-minute lead. Looks like he might have taken the foot off the pedal a bit on the run. Uh, and then Al- Albert Mon- Marino was second in 6.06. And Timothy Van Houten was third in 6.08. Wicked race if you ever want to go do it. The Updoes Triathlon. They swim. What do they swim? I think they swim 3k, and then the bike is not that far, but it takes some. You know, it takes the top pros four hours to five hours for the females, and then the run is I think it's 20k, but you're at altitude, and it's taking them sort of top guys low 120s, and the females sort of in the 130s to 140s. So they had the Asia Pacific 70.3 Championships, which are in Philippines over the weekend, and we had some pretty good racing there actually in both the males and the female race. Um, it seems that uh, one thing is Lucy Goss was it was was she disqualified? Lucy Gossage? Yeah. Uh, no, Lucy Goss. Uh, don't know. Because I, in the, in the, on now, on Slow Twitch, they have Caroline Stephan in second place. Um, maybe I'll go to the website. Yeah, no, I'm yeah, I'm not quite sure what happened there because I, I saw that commented somewhere else. But look, I mean, irrespective, um, Radka Carterfelt uh, crushed everybody. Uh, she swam 27, rode 218 and ran 121 to win by, you know, nine minutes or so. I think Caroline Stephan had a mechanical or a puncher on the bike. Um, really strong field um, on both the females and the male side. M- uh, Maurizio Mendes uh, came through on the run with a 113 to beat out Tyler Butterfield, who's making a really good 
fist of things um, on his return from sort of focusing a bit more on his running. Uh, so he ran a 1.14 as well, beating out Braden Curry. Tim and he had to fight for it too. Yeah, you know, like Craig Alexander. Run. We did have a few guys that were doubling up. Uh, Mike Phillips managed uh, seventh place, given he raced Ironman Switzerland the weekend before. And I also noticed that... Uh, that Canadian, uh, sorry, I'm looking at the other, I'm looking at the other story. Canadian fella who won Ironman Canada last week. Name eludes me right now. You guys will all know who I'm talking about. But anyway, he took out the uh, Brent McMahon. He took uh, out the Males race. Uh, no, didn't take it out. He finished eleventh place. Also after finishing. Uh, an Ironman last weekend. And then uh, 70.3 Boulder, got to give Callum Millwood, Kiwi, but a love for taking that out in front of Ben Hoffman. Okay, so it was Lauren Goss actually. So American Lauren Goss hung strongly for much of the race, but she did not realise that she had incurred a blocking penalty on the bike and was later disqualified. Oh. So that's why Stephen got second. Oh. So she actually came across the line second. Oh, they'd rip your undies, wouldn't it? Yeah, especially in that heat. That race does sound spectacular. They, they claim they have, you know, 100,000 people out on the oh, side really? of the so road. it's a pretty special oh, race. Ma- massive. That's why, you know, a, they've probably got good, reasonable money. B, there's good points because it's a regional championship. Are they making it, is it the same location every year or are they moving it around? Uh, they've had it there the last couple, I think. Okay. Uh, but it sounds like a great race. Did you talk about Crowe? And Crowe was in fifth place. That's pretty, pretty cool. impressive. Yeah. Especially in you know, a high quality field. Yeah, just um, Jeremy Hopwood has just sent through. He's, look, he's looking after somebody doing the Ultra Canada. Ultraman Canada. Yeah, so he's just got a bit of an update. Here, day one had the risk of the course changed due to wildfires. What about America with their wildfires right now in California? Oh, everywhere. I mean, Europe and stuff as well. <laughs> the world is on fire, John. Yeah. <laughs> um, up until the swim, however, the situation improved and the original course was held. Day two just finished, and the top three finishers within five minutes of day one. Gaps are about the same, with Dave having 15 minutes on Arnold and Tony 45 minutes back. Tony Buckingham, another Kiwi. Yeah. Uh, all three bikes are under eight hours on a hilly course and going through the Ironman distance in under 510. That's pretty good with another 90 minutes of riding. Uh, crewing Ultra is just what Jeremy's saying here is worth a story in itself as there is no aid stations. Um, I'm not quite sure what that means here. Something about leapfrogging the athletes to set up bottle stations. Yeah, uh, feeds in the car are not allowed. Oh, so, so you can't hang out the side of the window hand, and hand them a bottle Tour de France style and give them a sticky bottle. No, what's that about? Do you know what a sticky bottle is, Bevan? I don't know enough. I want to know, John. So when they when they ride along the Tour de France, a lot of you guys might have heard them say sticky bottle, and you're going, what, what are they talking about? So when you hand the bottle to the rider um, outside, he's got his hand facing backwards behind him and the, the, the car's holding onto the bottle. Wait, so you say backwards so my, my so knuckles are facing forward? Your knuckles oh, are okay, facing yep. forward and then they hand you the bottle and they hold onto the bottle for a bit, accelerate the car a little bit up. Oh, so it's a sticky bottle. Oh, nice, a bit of an accelerating bottle. Um, but overall, that's where day two was at and so it's oh. just through this morning so we'll give you more update on that next weekend. Um, John, coming up this weekend, we've got no Ironman races but we have got Emberman. Emberman is always a midweek race, so it's actually not this weekend. It's the start of next week, but it's a fantastic race. Interesting. Midnight Man uh, coming up. We've got the Swede Man Extreme in Sweden, and then Emberman early next week. Epic race. If you guys want a piece of it, uh, I'm going to be going there, planning to go there 2020. But you basically you ride over the Col d'Isoard, which is one of the iconic uh, mountains in the Alps. Beautiful swim uh, and just a race that I've always wanted to go and do. And it's not just the Isoard you go over, you. it's just an epic ride. And the run, one of the reasons I like it is the run is not stupidly hard. It does have a hill in it, but it's not uh, not stupidly hard and, and so you can actually run it. So looking forward to that next year. But it's a big money race uh, and, and that's why you know you do get a, a smattering of pros go there, but it's, as, it's like regional championship sort of level in terms of prize money. So they do well every year. 
you just get that whole French experience when you're going there. Everything's done a little bit differently. You know, you've got to have three pins on your number. You can't start unless you've got those three pins holding on your number. And uh, just little things like your bikes are actually hanging up vertically from these oh, interesting really? bike racks that they have. And they've got a chair next to every um, next to every bike rack so you can sit down and get changed. And uh, yeah, it's all just a, it's it's very French. Uh, it's a good number. Well, they have a whole festival week, so it's they have a like an Olympic distance race. We did the Olympic distance race one year as uh, Epic Camp. That's often part of the French Grand Prix, which is a big deal. Uh, and then they have like a kids race. They have an entry level race, and then they have the the, the big granddaddy. Uh, Swanee Noah sent through a, a, just a little article about Gwen Jorgensen, just saying if you scroll down, he sent through an article which I'll put in the show notes. If you scroll down, Gwen Jorgensen, this is an, I think it was a 10k race, yes, it must have been. Uh, she was eighth lady in 33.19, which is pretty average. And the race was won by Jake Robinson, a Kiwi boy, and he took it out by over 2k, which is an indication of how quick the top guys are, even when compared to ex triathletes aspiring to be an Olympic marathoner. So when, when, well, it'll be really interesting to watch her career in the next kind of year or so, won't it? Oh, yeah, she's not going to fire up every single race. I think her trajectory so far has been pretty good, but 33-19 is nothing uh, nothing too sharp in terms of uh, female you know, top running. Um, but, yeah. When does she have to qualify? When do they close off qualification, generally? I wouldn't have a clue, but I'd speculate the way that Americans often do this is they have, uh, you know, they have their Olympic qualifying race, and it's done at that race, and if... if I'd be guessing that would be, uh, you know, earlier in the year, maybe in April sort of time um, at one of the majors or, or a particular race. And then uh, with the Olympics being in July, I would, I would have thought it would have been the start. Yeah, I might be completely wrong, but that's that's how they often do it, I guess. Interesting times. Did you see Swaninio's photo on Facebook? I saw that they had well, they had the uh, national cross country champs. At the weekend. It looked like a disaster. Oh, it looked pretty muddy. Oh, my pretty God. It, so, yeah, like it was just an injury waiting to happen, wasn't it? Swanee did say he pulled a hamstring. And a, a bit of mud's really cool. Like you want some proper cross-country running to yeah. spice that. But when you're running through mud fields... It was like ankle deep. That's not that much You know, fun. your fuse will get stuck in it. Not very good at all. Um, ITU, John, what's happening here? Well, so this is good news for para-triathlon because um, Tokyo, from what I can see, announces Tokyo tw- 2020 para-triathlon medal events. Oh, uh, cool. Maybe I'm wrong here. I don't... I, I, it's, it was at the last Games. It was a medal sport at the last yeah, game. Yeah, totally. Time. Yep. Okay, but the good good thing is this actually helps. But by having a, a a medal sport at the Olympics for for para athletes, it will enable money to keep coming into the sport for them. And and if you're an event director or anything like that, may well be funds out there for you to put on para events because uh, that money all sort of trickles down from from the IOC and from your national federations. It's not something for me as a race director that I've ever really addressed in terms of actually offering para options i've never had um people come to me saying they wanted to to race but it's um it's an area i think it's a race director i should look into more and should do better yeah. so go you para athletes and if you know anybody who's who does have a disability and uh they're into either cycling or running or swimming or one of them you know tell them to maybe check out triathlon as an option to potentially go to the olympics and the good thing about the sport is we have a long history of you know, we're one of the sports that really embrace the disabled mm. athlete or, you know, the challenge athlete. Um, and so it's a good support network. And often, you know, look at what some work Bob Abbott's done. You know, get out there because, you know, when you, I can't imagine what it's like to have the disability. Mm. But 
when you can open your life up to sport with a disability, it's such a powerful thing. So good stuff. Okay, John, uh, what the hell is going on? I haven't got any any, <coughs> any course um, accuracy checks this week because I, I didn't put it up yesterday. We had the two iron distance races over the weekend, but I didn't do my course accuracies. Apologies. And I've already had my little mini rant in terms of uh, records and, and us not recognising them any longer. Okay, here we go. The last week's discussion, John. So last week's discussion was what's the biggest hurdle Either yourself or somebody you know had to overcome in a race to be successful. Oh, John, what about your Hawaii Island st- airline stuff? That must be your rent. Oh, good point. <laughs> Here we go. Good point. I fired him up. Bloody Hawaiian Airlines. This is actually pretty bloody important uh, because this could really decimate an industry. Uh, so going to Hawaii, some of you guys, Americans especially, uh, and I think maybe Europeans, you fly directly into Kona from LA or, or somewhere in the States. From New Zealand, and I think probably from Australia as well, we all have to go via Honolulu and get the little um, hop over from Honolulu to Kona, which is about a 40-minute flight or so. And it's not cheap. Um, they, they sting you all the time. Like yeah. The airfare is not bad, but then they sting you for all your bags and stuff. But Hawaiian Airlines have announced, thanks to Zania Morrison for sharing this with me, that they're not going to be taking soft bike cases any longer. And so the whole... S- bike case industry has moved from heavy hard cases to everyone now, not everyone, most people having soft cases like an Evoc or a yep. um, Skycon or, or, or cases like that. Because they're lighter are, and more practical? Yeah, exactly, and you can store them away. But yeah, lightness is the main main reason. But now Hawaiian is saying it's not that they're going to charge you for it, so it's like we're not carrying them. And so I think a lot of people are going to turn up to Honolulu this year and go and cross to Ironman, and then they'll go, we're not carrying it. And then what do you do? And how well was it communicated? Well, I wouldn't have known about it unless good old Zania, the, um, the stalker, had bloody sent it through to me. I, I saw Zania the other week. Yeah, and I saw Ian. Well, she was stalking you. That's yeah, why. that's true. But she's not a very good stalker if she saw me. So I'll have some other updates on this next week. I've got, I'm looking into different options, but we haven't. There's, that's the thing. There's no choice. It's can't, you can't just go, screw you, Hawaiian Airlines. I'm going to go on a different airline. I'm pretty sure there is no other option. So we're kind of a bit screwed. It's going to mean the bike, soft case, and it sounds like this might be a little bit of a trend happening around the world, and then it's going to totally change the bike case industry. Well, if anyone in Christchurch wants to borrow a hard case, I've got one. Mine... Well, I'm borrowing it. Oh, are you going to take a bike? <laughs> Sorry? Are you taking a bike? I might do. Okay, you can borrow it, and then you can leave it in your garage because it's a pain in the ass. <laughs> it's not even mine. It's Susan Wells. Yeah. Yeah. Suzanne. Suzanne, yeah. sorry. Suzanne Wells. It's hers. And um, and she lent it to me years ago, and she said, oh, just, you know, you can keep it for an hour. And I've had it for, I've literally had it for like 10 years, and I've yeah. never used it. And uh, and when we moved to the new house, I was like, I don't really need this bike case. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you can, yours. Done. And if John doesn't use it, someone else can back it up. And eventually, Suzanne can get it back if she ever wants it back. Although, based on how much she's asked for it back so far, you might score yourself a bit of a box that you can use for yeah. a long time. Okay, uh, so this week's discussion. This week's discussion is we want to hear about the biggest adversity someone has overcome in a race. This can be your experience or someone you know. You can go to first, John. Nicholas Brown crashed over a lapped rider that fell in front of me at Texas this year. This is going to become more of an issue as we go forward. And when they do yeah. things like they did at Ironman Canada, where they have 70.3 athletes on the course at the same time, it gets, it gives you the craps. Came to the came to with bike and spears on the side of the road, ready to go. Thought I could still run a fast marathon and possibly get a Kona slot. So I got clearance from the ambulance and some Band-Aids and go for it, wondering why not. Many other riders are on the course. Start passing a few riders and then get a proper 
clean up at T2 Medical Tent before starting the run. Solid run, but I found out afterwards I was at a bike crash for 40 minutes, which I remember only 10 to 15. <laughs> and medical Tent, it took 10 minutes to get the running again. Got redemption on Sunday at Ironman Canada where I got my Kona slot. Nice work. Obviously survived that one. Hey, John, the next one from Brett Chan. He said he'd send it through as an age group. Oh, we'll through. save that yeah, one. We'll save Brent, that one. We'll save that. Um, Greg McDermott's got Ultraman Oz 2016. Went into a double marathon on day three, feeling like absolute death. For some unknown reason, I'd managed to put on 7kgs in body weight over the previous two days of racing. Drinking a lot of water and a lot of carbs <laughs> to hold that water. Especially considering how much you do. How that happens swimming 10k and riding 420, I'll never know. Clearly something to do with the shock of the first day or two, I think. Just could not get going forward on the run day. Was dead last in the marathon turnaround with only six minutes to spare and brought it home picking up four or five athletes on the way back in the second marathon. Biggest achievement in my triathlon career to date. By the way, I finished Arnold Selikov. The time well, I'd finished. He was on his 10th beer, I think. There we nice. go. Uh, Jim Dorman. John. John Dorman. Being the first legally blind athlete in the world to complete Ultraman Triathlon, wow. triathlon at Ultraman Oz in 2015. Good on you. Uh, finding the best crew in the world to guide and share the journey with. Stumbling early on day three in the 84k double marathon. Not knowing that I broke a bone in my foot. Finishing in 10.43 and overall time 20 hours, 23 minutes. Nice work, John. Wow, that's pretty cool. Ned Phillips trained for years to qualify for Kona. I even, geez, Arnold's getting a lot of love today. Beast Arnold to qualify. Uh, on a Tuesday of race week, I've not uh, got food poisoning. Shits and sick all week. Race sick uh, as it was Kona. 100Ks into Queen K. I try to make an anti diarrhea pill while riding with my hands on aero. It crumbled at about 40Ks. I spit all over the aero bars and had to lick anti diarrhea crumb powder off the aero bars. It didn't work. I still shit myself. <laughs> Yuck. <laughs> <laughs> what, would, what do we call that? We called it the. The Sali. The Sali situation. There we go. Yeah. Iona McKenzie, uh, Primal Quest Utah, which is like a, um, an exhibition adventure race. We had to take a horse with us from the first leg, and I was the lucky one to ride the horse. In the first hour of the race, I had to dismount to go down a pass, and Dick, the horse, and Dick, the horse, stepped on my foot. I had to race 10 days with a broken toe. If that wasn't bad enough, the limping I was doing to accommodate the broken toe brought on the most painful IT, yeah. IT band tendonitis, which hurt more than the toe. Good old uh, Kerry Jewell's got seeing the ex-pro do 130Ks or so at Ironman New Zealand bike course with no seat and then doing a respectable run. That was pretty crazy. That is pretty crazy. can't remember who that was. Probably was Rhodesy or something like that. That's unbelievable. 130, like 10K to yeah. do it. Yeah. 130K. Lucy Francis, what, do you, what the hell were you doing running 48 no, kilometers? No, because they, they did the run. Oh, right. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Mark Scudamore's got, uh, it was Xterra Four Corners Triathlon a number of years ago. I was taking a Stanton after a, a having, a, having a heart attack the year before. Stanton's are known because they to cause severe muscle cramps in some people. Anyway, halfway through the second lap of the swim, my calf muscles started cramping so badly that I had to stop and massage first the right one. Then, 20 yards after relieving the first cramp, the left calf locked up an excruciating ball of pain. This went on for about 20 minutes, alternating right between right and left calf every 20 yards or so, causing me to be last out of the water by 20 minutes. Oh. The worst part, though, was that my calves were so tight and sore from the near-continuous cramping during the first half of the swim that I couldn't run. The next leg of the triathlon was a seven-mile run to T2. 
Seven mile to T2. <laughs> Jeepers, creepers were our bikes were. I had to walk six and a half miles before my calf loosens up enough to run. Although I planned to drop out once I reached T2, I stretched my calves before getting on the mountain bike and started an 18-mile mountain bike, figuring I could quit if my legs didn't feel better. After a few miles, my leg felt better, and I ended up finishing the race, although it was a DFL by a long shot. Still, well done, Mark. This great effort. Right, interview's just been confirmed, so we'll be doing that. Uh, and we have got, so soon-ish. who's the interview? Oh, we'll, 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 oh, we'll have to say now. Chris Leiferman. Not Leiferman, Leiferman. He's got a life in him. He has indeed. Um, Bevan, you do one more. You do um, do your grind owl. I'll do, and I'll do Shane Lewis because this is a good one too. Okay, broken uh, collarbone, stomach cramps. This is your George, uh, George or York, York. Uh, there is nothing compared to a nominous tri brother who had diarrhea while running and on a, <laughs> a white onesie. <laughs> so he had another. Was it? What's that new saying? Asali. Asali situation. Um, I can only imagine the miles of sheer embarrassment. With that thing dangling right and left, that is a sensational <laughs> That just it. makes you feel queasy. Yeah. There's just a shame of it. Shane Lewis, dolphining out of the shallow ocean water at Geelong 70.3, which is in Australia, stepped on something sharp. I thought it was a broken bottle or shell, biked and ran slowly with extreme pain in my foot. And the medical tent um, was found to have some more than a dozen sea urchin spines penetrating into my foot. I had to have surgery to move the spines that had pushed through to my plant. <laughs> Antarfasia. Oh, that that is good stuff there. That is a good stuff. Okay, guys. So this week's discussion is we've got, got two, like two, we've got two. We've got potential of two. Oh, you've only got one down here. Yeah, well, no, I've just thought of another one. The greatest, you, know, you love your greatests, the greatest half Ironman performances of all time. Okay, both male and female. Yeah. Okay. I do like them. Keep your one you've got for we'll next do this time because I like that one as well. So the greatest half distance races of all time both yep. male and female it's be interesting because i i don't know if we have as much knowledge on the sport i know i don't that's why i want to hear from from more people to have seen really spectacular ones what do you put it down to is it just purely speed yeah you know i don't want to overcoming adversity sort of ones or anything like that i want speed so you know like some people might say chrissy did well at eagle man if you can remember back to like the Aaron baker days or the paul newby fraser days or anybody really that's why i want to just share a bit of love you know i, I think that performance at the weekend whilst it wasn't a, a championship race or anything like that is speed wise that's probably as good just about as good as it gets so uh yeah just think about male and female best 70.3 half Ironman distance races all time. Okay, John. Uh, we've got an interview coming up. Who is it? Chris Leiferman. Leiferman, here he is right now. Okay, guys. Um, we've got Chris Leiferman. Well, I think we've probably always called him Leiferman, um, and I think a lot of other commentators do, but I'm told it's Leiferman. Chris, have I got that right? It's Leiferman, yeah. I've, I've given up on correcting people. Don't need to correct us today. Um, now, we, we've got some, some inside scoop on you from Rob Gimme Moore, um, and he was telling us that you're one of four brothers. Uh, you all played a bit of sport, but you've got a bit of an interesting combination. He said you did a bit of wrestling, you did a bit of baseball, but you also did a bit of uh, dance class, tap, jazz, and ballet. So I was thinking ballet and wrestling is a bit of a, an interesting combination coming into triathlon. So maybe tell us about your sort of sporting background coming up as a kid. Yeah, we're uh, just always in sports, and I think baseball and wrestling were definitely the ones that we first started with. My my folks didn't play sport when they were in school, but that was kind of the direction we went, and uh, yeah, I wouldn't change it for the world. And I think I was in first grade, maybe kindergarten, um, 
the one I started dance that lasted six years. Mm-hmm. It was, it was rough going through it. Um, I even <laughs> had, uh, I'd go to dance class after school and then I'd have wrestling practice later that night. And I, some of the older guys would play pig in the middle with me, with my dance shoes. Um, I got a little bullied there, but I think it was kind of makes you a stronger person. If as long as it's not extreme bullying. Did, um, did you enjoy it? Not really. No. <laughs> I hated practicing. Uh, it, was, it was all right going to the class, but then having to do the homework and the, and the recitals. And oh, it was just, uh, I was the only guy in, in there. Um, <laughs> I, I got along with everyone, but yeah, it just wasn't for me. I'm, I'm glad that it was kind of short-lived. So, so tell us about your entry into the triathlon world because I was I was looking into you yesterday and I've I've seen your name pop up from time to time. But you know what what were you doing sort of pre triathlon and and when did you kind of enter the into the you know the world of triathlon because the first results I could see was sort of 2015, which is sort of when you started racing pro by the look of it. But what was um, what were you sort of doing with life and and also um, sports wise before you came into triathlon? Well, when I got into triathlon, my brother, he was really into mountain biking and cycling at the time. And I was just, I was going to school. I was, I think I went down to Colorado and I built a house in Pagosa Springs. Uh, so I was working pretty heavily and uh, going to my first years at the University of Minnesota and hadn't done anything other than maybe an intramural sport, playing volleyball or softball or what have you. And, um, yeah, just did my first try as a indoor triathlon and caught the bug there. And I ended up switching schools and coming out to Colorado and spent nine months working with my dad in the in between. And I was just working really hard and training really hard. And before I moved out here and then kind of caught the wind that everyone else does triathlon. I had no idea that this was such a big sport and I was just kind of doing it to stay fit. And I happened to be pretty good at it. So that added a little feel to the fire. But so yeah, beforehand I was just working, going to school and just doing it to stay fit. Were you you pretty talented pretty quickly or has your progression been more kind of the journey of a hard worker? Like, you know, you're obviously a great pro. So what was kind of your trajectory to where you are now? I think it was the hard work because my swim technique was awful. <laughs> and I, I, I just think that I, I really cycled hard and I really ran hard and that really translated. Um, I think I'm, I'm paying a bit for it. We might go into this a little bit later about injuries and kind of stems from the running. But um, yeah, just kind of forced it and working on the, the engine that I, I may be gifted with. But yeah, I'd, I'd mostly say hard work. And, and like your, the results I could see were from 2015 onwards when it looked like you started racing um, in, in the pro division. Uh, how long did it take you to get to that level um, where you were racing as a pro? I, I qualified for pro my very first year of doing triathlon. Oh, nice. So that was maybe 08, yeah. but I didn't take it. I didn't know what it meant. Like, like I said, I was doing this for fitness and I was racing local guys in Minnesota and there were, there were a lot of good guys there, but I just did the, the right amount of races. And I think I was able to be within the 7% or the top three age group, 
um, at a Lifetime Minneapolis. I think I went down and did the Dallas one, the Lifetime Fitness race there. And I did, again, I didn't know what it meant. I was like, oh, cool. All right. I didn't, what's, what's, what's elite? What's this, what's this mean? I just going to keep on racing. And then it wasn't until I got out to Colorado, what the pro division really meant. And that was, man, that was three years later, I suppose. And then I, I didn't want to take it right away because I still didn't feel ready to do it. Um, but I was kind of convinced into it by my brother who he was in the same boat with mountain biking that once he took the pro, his pro status and then started racing against these higher caliber people, he found a, a bump in his fitness just because he now realized what more he had to do. Was it frustrating for the people around you? You start your racing career and you're kind of pro straight away, although you didn't really appreciate what that meant. But what was the kind of feeling around you from the people around you? Um, I don't know. I, I, I kind of feel like the people around me in Minnesota felt the same way. They didn't seem like as big a rubes as you have in the triathlon world. Um, so I don't necessarily know if they, if they knew what it meant. Like my family had no idea what it meant. Probably because they, I was. They're only getting their information from me, so I, was, I wasn't a big help. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, so, I'm sure probably some envy, but I, I, I envy other people too. So you can't can't argue that. Yeah. So what's your you know you, when you did finally take the plunge and and got took your pro license up? Um, what was your plan? You know, were you just going to race in the pro division and were you still working at that stage or what was your sort of plan and um and what how has it sort of panned out over the last couple of years yeah though prior to the taking a pro i was ranking up amongst the pros and doing races where i probably could have won money and so that's where i i was like oh well i'm gonna capitalize on this and try to win some money if i'm gonna be racing anyways Uh, my wife she was racing pro as well so we had uh, the opportunity to travel together to some of these races and race together. So that was pretty, pretty cool situation. And I was, I was still in school and I was working and I was racing pro again, Jeez. not really thinking too much about it. I had no, no future in it. Again, I was doing it because I like the community and I like the hard work aspect of it. Uh, I've met a lot of good friends out of it. I met my wife through it, and that was kind of what was keeping me in. Can you tell us about how you managed life through that time? Because if you're working, studying, and racing as a pro, I can't imagine there's much time for mucking around. Like, just on a personal level, how how did you manage yourself through that time? Um, when I was healthy, I actually managed it pretty well, and but it was the hardest part is when I would. I'd get uh, an injury and then I would just really put in the dumps because you're, you're bummed that you're not able to do the sport and not able to run or bike. And, um, but fortunately I was able to manage it all pretty well and I enjoyed the, the classes that I was taking. So it wasn't a super stressful situation there. And, um, uh, living in Fort Collins, I don't know. Life was good. It was, it was hard to complain about my life and uh, the people that I wanted to hang out with were also doing triathlon. So, my my network of socializing was within the sport. 
So in terms of your Ironman career so far, it looks on paper pretty impressive. You know, you've had uh, three starts and you've had two wins and a third place. So Ironman Mont-Tremblant, you won in 8.24. Um, you also won Ironman Boulder uh, earlier this year, which was one of the reasons we wanted to get you on the show with an 8.07 and third place in Ironman Cozumel. So, you know, on the face of it, those uh, 2016 and 2018 results uh, look pretty solid. I mean, has, has the Ironman racing gone as well as you could have hoped at this stage? Oh yeah, I can't. That's pretty sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I would have some some Kona starts and finishes on there. It definitely definitely kind of bums me out. Um, it, a lot of pressure is put on to be it at the big dance, and I haven't been there yet. It is a goal for me, but you know, having three starts, two wins, uh, going to race Ironman Louisville and. Um, goals to make it four starts three wins so it's i think it's pretty rad why why so little racing is have you had injuries like you know like because you had your first race in 2016 so what's happened you know in this time why i haven't gone to kona well why haven't you raced you know did you not race at all last year yeah so i didn't i just raced oceanside and then i had i had mono and a stress reaction which Uh. kept me a year and then my first race back this year was Oceanside and um, I flatted on the bike and then went to Marbella and then Boulder and um, so I had had a win in a second place in Marbella or I had a win in Boulder in the second place in Marbella still wasn't enough and uh, I had a sciatica this year that compounded after Boulder that um, put me out of uh, the races to get the the next few points that I needed to get to Kona this year, but put it on the back burner and I'll move on to 2019. So what do you do in 2017 when you're, you're injured and, uh, and you're not able to, I don't know if you did any races, but, but how the hell do you get by when you've got a, a year of injury? I remodeled our house. <laughs> uh, we have a brand new kitchen. We have new floor, <laughs> um, cut down a lot of trees. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I kept my mind busy, uh, did some side work. I was, yeah, just kept working, kept training. Got actually got in a lot of cycling because I was still able to do that. Plenty of swimming. So I was still training uh, full time, but just keeping my mind occupied with uh, some some work on the, on the side. Yeah. So what's your, what's your plan now in terms of, um, you know, you've, you've, you've got those good wins and stuff and you've, you've talked about Kona year, I guess. I uh, probably just looking at this year. You, you, you're only just probably outside making the Kona, the Kona cutoff. Uh, obviously, it's only a couple of weeks away. Um, but was it tempting to try to just go get somewhere to to snap up um, just at least a few points to try to sneak in? Yeah. Well, I was going to go to Cebu last weekend, and mm. or and I ended up pulling trigger on that because I just wasn't able to run off the bike and. So focused more on the recovery aspect, and I, with Mont Blanc two weeks away, and um, you know, very skeptical about the running. It just I really can't go fake a marathon, mm. and I want to destroy myself, and then yeah, potentially go get into Kona and beat myself up through Mont Blanc, and then what what are the chances of doing well at Kona after mm. those conditions? 
So it just didn't make sense. If I'm going to go to Kona, I'm going to do it right. Mm. Um, tell us a bit about the the um, the U Place uh, team that you're you're involved in, if you are in fact still involved with it, because the, the, we've interviewed some of the guys on on the, the, that team before, and uh, and they're, they're generally Europeans, um, either Brits or Belgians or whatever. So how did that sort of come about, and are, are you still a part of that gig? I am. That's a that's a really sweet deal. I've I've had a really good um really good relationship with everyone on the team and yeah we all get along and, uh, everyone gets um you know treated pretty well and it's just fun to be part of a team i've never had that aspect uh outside of high school sport so and i, I know this still isn't a, a team team sport but it, it does give it a little bit of a dynamic like that and we all reach out to each other before races or after races and we're always cheering each other on and it, it's kind of cool to have um to have a backing like that and have um a different scene to follow do you guys ever meet up or i mean obviously if you're at races you do but um do you guys ever go on any camps or anything like that yeah we do yep yeah. so we had two camps and um yeah pretty sweet places and but uh yeah get get some good quality time together how did you get involved in it they reached out to me last year in in august or so and just was really really pleased with my debut ironman at Montreal blanc and then followed it up uh, with austin and then popped off a good one at oceanside and i mean they just saw the promise that i'll be be able to offer and keep bmc on the podium at every race that I do. Oh, so how much of a pro, how much as a pro do you find having to do the professional side of the work? You know, obviously this is the athletic side of the work, but doing the professional side of the work, uh, where are you good at that? And where are some areas that you need to improve? Um, I've been pretty fortunate. My social media has a pretty good following. And I think that really uh, responded well to the, to the directors of the team and I, I have a pretty good following too and you know the content on there i think a lot of people feed off of that so it's it definitely helps and i did need a lot of work with that um i still get some help on that i'm i'm, I'm not one to be uh, um you know 100 be posting every day and but uh with the help that i do have with it it's been really helping and i think that side of it is reflecting so it's a crystal ball gazing, you know. If you think uh, three years down the track, you know, where, where do you want to be, and what what do you want to see on your your resume of results? Um, I kind of like the the way that my Ironman results have been <laughs> coming up, so I'd like to continue that. And I mean, right now, to string years injury free, I think is my goal. And I think if I can just focus on being injury free stringing year after year after year the results reflect that and that they'll, they'll just come why, why do you feel you have the injury journey you know because some athletes seem to have injury free all the time and yeah. obviously you're pushing your body pretty hard but it seems that yours has been that kind of journey of frustration through injury so is there is there a kind of something you see in your the way you go about doing things yeah just a little bit on the on form and strength side on the run on the running i've never grown up in a running um I mean, we ran for wrestling and, you know, ran around the bases for baseball, but I was never taught how to run. Mm -hmm. And uh, the running strength aspect has never been pushed on, on, on me. Um, 
you know, I'm strong. I've lifted weights, but I think it's, it's those specific run, run drills and run weights that need to be a little bit more consistent. Yeah. So, you know, assuming your body holds up, um, what's sort of on your radar for the rest of this year? So the rest of this year, you're headed to Santa Cruz, and then that's in four weeks. Cozumel is optional. I just love Cozumel. That'd be fun to go down there. Um, that's uh, September, and then Louisville Ironman will be the second weekend of October, I believe. And we'll, we'll see how, how that goes. And then after that, um, Cozumel Ironman might be on the, on the agenda as well. Um, is this all with the intention of trying to make Kona next year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. I kind of like the new system, and uh, it would work right well for you. you. You win yeah, races, well, which helps. <laughs> I hope so. So it's um, go pop off a good one at Louisville and be set for twenty nineteen. Okay, three three questions, sort of standard questions we have for athletes. Uh, do you wax or shave? I shave. <sighs> I've never even considered yeah. waxing. Yeah. Or Nair. I don't even know. Do people? I think people this, use Nair too. This guy does. Guy? This guy's waxes. I've, 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 got, I've got a lot of hair. <laughs> and, he's got a, and he's a beer. So it ain't, it ain't pretty. <laughs> do, do you use facial moisturizer? Shampoo. Shampoo? Or what? You, no, 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 on your do, face. Do you look after your skin? Oh, I thought you were talking about shaving. Um, no, I just shave or take a beard trimmer and then I let it grow out and then I beard trimmer it again. Nice. Yeah. And you may or may not have done this. Um, if you were to train up for a marathon, you know, um, put on some pretty good, solid, decent run training, what do you think you could run for a um, fresh marathon? Bearing in mind, I did look, you know, I think your first Ironman, you ran a 2.45, which was pretty impressive. Considering you weren't a runner, God. <laughs> um, what, what do you think you could, or what would you like to be able to bang out for a fresh marathon with a bit of a decent build-up? Um, I would say like 2.30. I'd I have no idea. I've never. That's I and mean, the only reason I say two thirty is that my little brother ran a two thirty two. Nice. So <laughs> I would like to. I would like to um, beat him up, one up him on that one. Uh, just, just but you know, next year goes well. You go to Kona. What's the goal for Kona? Um, a podium spot. I mean, I don't see why not with a well executed race. It's very possible. Um, it kind of shows I, um, the, the caliber of people that are coming in the on the podium spots are just well executed with good runs. And uh, I think that's kind of my MO. So it could very well happen. Come on. Awesome. Oh, you mentioned um, social media. So if people do want to follow you, what's the, the best means for people to follow you? Uh, Instagram <laughs> is probably the best. And yeah, Chris Leiferman, look me up on Instagram. That would be the best avenue. Awesome. Oh, we look forward to following your progress for the rest of this year. Keep winning races. It must be nice to be a pro when you first start and you win your bloody first race. That must have been a cool feeling. <laughs> yeah. It was kind of um, – so I don't think I've ever said this before. So my very first triathlon, I won. Yeah. My And that was a sprint. My very first Olympic race – these are all age groupers yeah, race yeah. though. But – I won my very first half iron as an age group. I won my very first pro race. I won my very first Ironman. I won. Wow! And I don't know. I just thought that was. I mean, there's been a lot of fails. Yeah, and, you but know, non-wins pretty cool. in between. But it's just it's just kind of neat those those first ones. Um, well, it's also that, it's also that thing of um, 
you know, for you, like a lot of people never quite get the win or it takes them a long time to get there. So they have this mystery of how do you make it work. But obviously in your career, it's kind of the opposite. It's kind of like I get that win early and duplication, which you've done, but it's it's nice. It's a different kind of path forward when you have your experience to comparison to someone who doesn't, it takes a while to get there. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think so. Um, I, I hope it's not because I picked a sandbag race and just kind of sneaked my way into that first place. Thanks. Awesome. Now, good to, good to hear a bit more about you and uh, all the best with the season. And uh, hopefully we'll see you on the start line in Kona next year. Yeah, right on, guys. Thanks a lot. Awesome. Thanks for your time. John, we're back. We haven't actually done that interview yet, but you guys would have heard it. Apparently, he's got a lot of life in him. <laughs> he has indeed. <laughs> I'm here a week. Okay, oh, John. You know what's ironic about um, about this? Isn't it ironic? We've just done that. We'll do uh, Wanger of the Week just quickly now because the person who put us on to um, Chris? Chris, who's got a lot of life in him, was Rob Gimme Moore. And last week, he was the Wanger of the Week. Did 80 hours and 16 minutes of training. No. 80. That can't be that right. That can't be right. You turned and turned your device off. <laughs> 80 hours. Let me just log in. What's your biggest ever training week? Because you've done crazy stuff. Oh, I don't know. what. We're... My biggest on Epic Camp was 63. Yeah, I don't know if I would have got that high. Because um, I remember Mike Montgomery, um, he got about 75. And I got 63. And um, Del Campo got about 70. Bloody impre- He's got 80 hours and 16 minutes. We'll have a look into that. And then Alistair Mayer. Uh, it's got 58 hours and 57 minutes. It's crazy to think. I can even just think back to myself doing 63 hours exercise in one seven days. That's just stupid. <laughs> 80 hours, well, hey, give me more. If you're, <laughs> if you're right, you gave us more. He did. I'm just having a look at overall. I don't know my, my way around Strava well enough, Bevan. Maybe he did like an endurance event. 80 hours is a long time. Maybe he did like, a, like one of those four-day kind of... Crazy races. Oh, maybe it isn't Rob. Uh, it's not Rob Moore, sorry. Oh, Rob. Rob, M- Rob get out the door and do some training. Rob McCarr. McCarr. <laughs> it's only got MCR. How you there, Petey? So, just pause for a second. Oh, we're pausing there, are we? Wait a second. Well, I'll just figure out if, if he actually did 80 hours or not. Okay, I'm going to say, I'm going to say he did, John. I'm backing him on this one. Rob McCarr. I'm going to say he did it. And I'm going to say... What do you reckon is the most someone could do in a week? I suppose you could do 24 hours times 7, which yeah. is, let me pull up my little calculator here, 24 hours times 7, calculator, I'm just trying to kill some time. This is here, great podcasting, I'm not getting anywhere here, I don't know my way around Strava very well. Okay, well, okay, Rob, let us know, 168 hours. So if that's the case, he spent half the week training. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. Because you've got to sleep in there. Yeah, it's plus. <laughs> You take away sleep, so seven times forty-two. Take away forty-two, forty-two. So of waking hours, he spent two thirds of it training. It did look like he was off riding in the. I don't know. <laughs> Again, it's uh, a sensation. Sensation. We podcast. are world-leading podcasters. We are. I tell you, there's no denying. Move Go on, on, move Mr. on. Mr. Sponsor. Tanya Pora, we've got a little interview coming up with Ollie Allen. He was over at Tanya Pora with a camp this week, so I thought we'd catch up with him and uh, talk about what he does in Tanya Pora. Interesting to hear about their sweat testing, and they, they find it extremely useful to take um, athletes that are going to Kona. Uh, Kona and to other hot environments and to go over there and actually put them through their paces. A, you get an awesome place to train, but they utilize a lot of facilities over there. So here's Ollie Allen. Okay. 
Right, guys, uh, we've talked heaps about Tanyapura in the past, and we've actually got a man on the ground over there uh, running a camp at the moment. Ollie Allen uh, is over there with Tri Alliance. So welcome along to the show, Ollie. Thanks, mate. Yeah, it's good to, good to be on board to have a chat. Look, um, been looking forward to it. Um, what 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 took you over to Thailand? You know, you guys are based in, in Melbourne, I believe. Um, what's sort of taken you over to, to go to Tanyapura in Thailand? Yeah, so look, I mean, the, our primary drive to be over here is really around the heat acclimatisation and then also understanding athletes' uh, abilities in the heat and how they, they adapt to the heat. Um, we spend a lot of time here doing sweat analysis and fluid, lot of fluid loss analysis, um, being from the cold uh, or the cooler areas of the country. Melbourne during the winter, um, those guys doing some, you know, world championship races later on the year, like Kona and, um, you know, 70.3 South Africa and even the world's uh, in Olympic and sprint, they take advantage of a camp like this to understand how their bodies can perform in the heat. And uh, we work with um, uh, like another organisation, Core, uh, Core, who's a, a great little partner of ours that they've built this amazing piece of software that helps us um, analyse that, that data and um, gives them some really valuable and, and meaningful numbers to work with. Fantastic. So, how many times have you been over there, and and what what particular in particular takes you back to Tanyapur each time? Oh, look, it's um one is, and, and this is every time I bring someone new over here, they're just amazed with the facilities and uh, the accommodation. Um, so, from that aspect, it's it's phenomenal. Um, but then, if you look at it from a you know from a physiological standpoint, the humidity and the the environment, the temperature that you um, come and train in is is very uh, much like what a lot of the athletes need to participate in you know later in the year when they're in competition so um, it's a great way of also you know developing or creating a bit more stress uh, on the athletes as well um, especially when you've got this heat that they have to adapt to um, generally they're working 10 to 15 percent harder than what they normally are uh, just to you know just to keep up the same sets they'll be doing in Melbourne so yeah I mean it's, um, from that point of view it's it's a no-brainer and how long how long do you guys stay over there? And, and have you got a very big crew, or is it just a uh, you know a smaller um, bespoke sort of group that you take over there? Yeah, look, I, I always try and go between fifteen to twenty people, and that's that's where our numbers are at the moment um, for this camp, which is great. Uh, much more than that, people just tend to miss out on the quality. It's very difficult to give athletes back what they need while they're over here. Um, so I think I think anything more than that starts to become a little bit too out of control unless we you know expand on staff, but um yeah i mean this is like our this is our third camp here um and uh yeah so it's from that perspective it's yeah, it's invaluable and do you guys get out and about i mean in terms of um obviously you're there to, to primarily train but do you take your guys out to do any uh either unique rides or any of the the side attractions or is it all uh, pretty oh, much yeah, down yeah. to business Oh, look, I mean, yeah, it's I mean, a serious camp, like it's well-structured and so forth. But, you know, I mean, the, the one thing that people, I guess, aren't quite sure about when they come to a country like Thailand is, you know, their, their first thoughts is the roads are going to be all chopped up and, uh, you know, there's scooters and traffic to negotiate, things like that. But I can tell you, like, it's just some of the best riding roads I've ever been on. Um, it's just phenomenal here. Like, every they're, they're investing so much money in infrastructure and uh, – a lot of that is like every, every road is full of hot mix. Um, so for those who aren't familiar, it's very flat, smooth roads everywhere, uh, and that and that just makes it you know really comfortable to ride on, and you can get some great efforts on. And generally, the the loops that 
Um, and we always team up with the cycling coaches here. So Daniel Amby is a fantastic cycling coach that they have um, here at Tanya Pura. Um, we team up with him and, and we, we just, you know, devise sessions uh, with those guys and, and go out and do some really quality sessions. Um, yeah, so look, in terms of that, that's fantastic. And then socially, um, it's always great. Like the, you know, the admin team here, they are always accommodating and they, they want to sort of show those guests who are on site a little bit more about Thailand. So, you know, we go out to the local markets um, one of the nights towards the end of the camp give um, those who are here a better experience and, um, you know, so that, that sort of thing is, is really good. I think it, as much as it's a serious camp and, and you really want to get the most out of it, it's good to have a little bit of that downtime to experience some of the culture of what Thailand has, especially for those who haven't been, you know, to Southeast Asia or to Thailand before. Fantastic. And you got any uh, big hitters there? Got any um, any potential podium winners either at um, ITU Worlds on the Gold Coast, Kona or anything like that? Um, we we'll have age group winners in, in Ironman, um, sprint distance and and, um, and 70.3 that always participate in these camps. Uh, it's just the, the big thing is the bridging the gap between like racing in a cooler condition and then racing at somewhere like Kona, for example, where, um, you know, the environment's so much more difficult, hence bringing them to a place like this to understand what their body's going to be up against, um, you know, for... Generally, when it's, a, when it's a first-time Kona athlete, um, the general rule of thumb is that you're going to Kona to learn yeah. how to race Kona, um, regardless of how good you are. You know, it's, it's really the freak athlete that is able to, to do really well in Kona the first time around. But, um, yeah, that, that's that's part of the process that, and, and why we bring it to a place like uh, Tanya Pura to really get to understand that. Um, I do have one athlete here. He, you know, did really well in Cairns, which luckily the weather uh, wasn't. Super out of control. However, you know, like he's been out here for the last few days. Did a ride yesterday. He was absolutely struggling in the heat. Um, you know, really needs to understand and up his numbers in terms of his sodium intake and, and, and fluid numbers just to make sure that he can pe- perform at a, an output that's you know going to give him some good results. So um, yeah, look from that perspective, I think it's um, no. I don't. I probably don't have people who are going to podium, but I'm going to have people who are going to get a you know, who are going to learn really well out of a camp like this and, and um, be a lot more ready and prepared to go to uh, the World Championships than if they didn't do this camp. Fantastic. So, guys, uh, we love the, the guys at Tanya Pura. If you want to check out Ollie's website, go to try-alliance.com.au. And, uh, Ollie, I know camps are busy as hell, so I'll let you get back to it. And thanks so much for your time. No worries. Thank you very much for that. Appreciate the time. Next year. Tanyapura. Next year, that's planned. So if you want, to, I'm, I'm still working on my Tanyapura camp details, but uh, if you're keen to get amongst it, get in touch with me. I'll just put you in the provisional list, and once I've got all the, the details 100%, but it's going to be in October. Do you have a confirmation list there? Conf- yeah, you can yep. confirm once I've got the details sorted. So yep. uh, if you want to get, check out Tanyapura, we will be going next year. Tell you what, it would be an awesome... John always puts on a good camp, but what about at that resort? How cool is that? I just love all the, the stuff on the side with this camp. You know, sometimes we go to venues, you know, if I'm talking about going to to France or riding the Alps, you know, the cool thing there is you're riding famous mountains, you get to see all the Tour de France stuff. But when you yep. go to Thailand, it's about 
for me, it'd be a much about the cultural experience yeah. and going trying different foods, just seeing different scenery, um, as well as doing you know some good training and being in awesome venues. So it should be good times. Okay, so questions uh, and answers. answers. Good old John Livingston just sent through about Simone Mitchell. He just got because you did the outlaw. She goes, crushed the outlaw last yeah, got, year. Hey guys, you may have seen since recording that. Thanks for mentioning it. He's just, we always give John lots of love because he does great work. Uh, but a few more details on the outlaw triathlon. I was there working as one of the announcers, commentators. And that performance by Simone was seriously impressive and legit. Until she married last year, she was Simone Daly. And in 2017, she was the first age group overall by five minutes at the 70.3 Worlds. And earlier this year, she finished second overall as an age group athlete. Wow, that's pretty impressive. And Ironman Lanzarote. And Ironman Lanzarote, head of Michelle Vesterbury. Uh, she's been Dakota twice, two podium, and is going back this year with the aim of winning the 30 to 34 age group. And I would suspect wanting to take the first overall age group athlete overall. Outlaw is an awesome race. The distance are totally legit. Run course even has a full certification and accuracy from official course measurement body of the UK. Nice We're, work Outlaw. Yeah, good on them. Weather wasn't great either. We're verging on heat wave conditions for the last two months in the UK but the past weekend had rain and strong winds. Being cooler helped but it was still not a perfect day. Men's race was incredibly exciting at the end with Joe Beach passing Gareth Hodgson with 600 metres to go. Ooh. That is pretty cool, isn't it? That's a that's a that's a demoralizing time to be passed. It is. So check out John's stuff on try two four seven dot com. He does some really good articles, especially around some of the you know the sub nine females, sub eight males, and uh, and he's also following a lot of Gwen Jorgensen stuff quite closely. So check out try two four seven. Adam Alton sent through a question. He's got get it, guys. Any chance you could do a segment on a typical Ironman training program? Should or should could look like I'm cranking up to my uh, training in preparation for Ironman in Bustle in December my best time is 12.40 so I'm guessing I'm looking for some advice on training program to improve this time I have around 10 to 12 hours maximum to train each week looking for a program no longer than 16 hours currently about 35 hours K a week uh, running and then bike was about 2 hours I, I said get a coach. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> said, hey, what do you want a bloody program here? So I Pay just, your fees, get a coach. Yeah. No, I do think, especially well, no, for all athletes, if you're looking to utilize your time efficiently, getting a coach is the way to go. So, But I just thought I'd just cover a couple of things, just some uh, summary for, for guys that are maybe new to the sport and just uh, some areas where people often go astray. So um, what you want to be aiming for is typically two to three swims a week. You know, that's one area. Unless the swim is going to be a problem actually completing, you need to do enough. But in terms of, you know, utilizing your time, if you've only got 10 to 12 hours, you're better off spending more time biking and running. So a couple of swims, um, generally aim for three rides and generally aim for three runs. So it's kind of one of those things. If you if you want to get by at the sport, trying to do three, three, and three of each discipline, plus trying to do the extra things is uh, is where you need to be at. And you can do things like like mixing it up, doing a swim run, exactly. and stuff like that. Um, then if you want to be pretty serious then you maybe go four, four and four or you might go three swims, four bikes, four runs and then you know in terms of the pros and stuff then they're probably looking more like five, five and five. So key training points, times weeks in the program you know this is the areas where I often see self-coach athletes uh, go wrong or not necessarily self-coach but just doing your own gig. Um, Not taking easier weeks so that's really really important and so some people take the easier weeks too easy, some don't take them at all 
But main thing with the easier week is is you're really dropping the intensity and and you're not putting your body under a huge amount of stress. So for some people doing that every third week um, works, some people doing that every fourth week, but make sure you're having an easier week. And if you're training every day, make sure you've got at least one day off in that week. Um, other key areas where athletes often go astray is um, around the structure of your long rides. So, and this is across the board that I see this, is Yes, you need to get your endurance up by just riding early on, but as you get closer to the race, you need to have some structure and be doing plenty of those long rides at race pace or have intervals at race pace or around race pace. Uh, a lot of athletes don't do swim bike sessions. Um, lots do bike runs, that kind of makes sense, but you need to make sure you do some swim bike sessions really to get that transition effect uh, and to get onto the bike when you're actually you know, and straight into your work rather than doing a, a warm-up. And, um, and this thing really keeps getting... Um, getting on me is, is athletes not doing build-up races. So, you know, racing is the best way you're going to learn. You you learn all those cock-ups that you, you can really easily do, like, you know, not doing your bike bottle cages up properly or learning how to potentially change a tyre or just getting your race wheels all sorted out, things like that. So try to do... Um, do some build-up races. And then uh, the final th- couple of things I've got there is how to build slash overload through the program and what the taper should like. Th- th- there were a couple of questions that you had there, uh, Adam, is uh, I think lots of athletes start to taper too early. So what I do with a lot of athletes is around about five weeks out, really having an easier week there. And then that, then you can structure your last five weeks as uh, do that easy week, then you have two weeks of more solid training, and then a week where you ease off a bit, and then a week where you ease off a bit more into the race. Uh, the final thing you had, Adam, there was my bike riding sucks. So any advice on to improve that? Uh, main thing would be get a power meter and uh, and learn how to use it, and then you can confirm whether you're riding easy enough or hard enough. So one thing with that but is when you think about power meter, what kind of gains, you know, if you think of progressive overload, it's one thing to say I've got a power meter, but how do I want to use it to actually make sure I... You know, how would you think about that in programming? Um, well, then you just got to firstly figure out your, your zones, and uh, and so you can do that firstly via the twenty minute TT, and that will give you an initial sort of setup point, and then you've got to go out on the road. And if if, if you've got no Ironman or race experience, then it's a bit harder. But if you have, then you need to go out on the road and ride what you think is Ironman effort based on your experience, and then kind of match that up with what you've learnt from your twenty minute TT, and see if those zones are right, and then you can kind of start pairing together. Your your heart rate and your power probably need to do a whole other section on that another day yeah because this one is a big topic so maybe we'll just say one other thing um tim uh, tim hemming did uh, a piece on sarah agent smackdown sutherland around uh changing to athletes and to 20 triathlon.com so i'll put a link to that if you want to read that in our show notes and it's pretty much questions and answers. John, we've got a new patron. We have. I like, I like that you came up with the nickname, but I think it's a good one. Okay, good. Yep. So Scott Morrison is our new patron this week. And I've gone with the minister. Yes. And the reason I did this. Tells you how to live your life. <laughs> I just put Scott Morrison into uh, Google and press enter for some reason. And it came up with some Australian politician. So I thought the minister. Yes. Scott. Scott. The Minister Morrison. Oh, double M. Yes. Genius. You're a genius, Houston. There's no denying. If you want to be a patron of the show, go to www.imtalk.me. There's a link to our Patreon page. Oh, no, sorry, our Patreon page. That's my website. That's my, my podcast. Uh, for just becoming a part of the community, you go on there, you donate as much or as little as you want. There's gifts depending on levels of donation. And you also go to draw to win a trip to Kona. So thanks for all the people who are our patrons. And it rocks. John sponsors. 
Extreme Endurance. Your lactic buffer. We haven't actually done Extreme Endurance today. You skipped over it. I noticed you did that. What is we, 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 we were going through. Because I got some good I had gossip sponsor, I had Extreme Endurance, and Bevan just skipped straight over it. It was when we did. It's when. Oh, you put EE. Look at <laughs> what. Yeah, but. Yeah, okay. Normally you have some stuff there. Okay. You can see how I made my mistake, but can't you? <laughs> You can, you know, I, I, I take responsibility for my mistake, but we've got show notes and he does have sponsor, but I never read his labels and normally he has what he's going to talk about within the sponsor. Today he's just got EE. Well, I need to get on the EE, Bevan. I've got, uh, not this weekend, next weekend, I'm doing the Canterbury 10K champs. What, okay. And, what's the prediction on time? Well, this is the, this is the challenge, you know, um, and this is what is cool. You were saying before, you know, what scares you a bit about, right? You know, if you, if you rocked up to Norseman, you'd be yep. shitting yourself a bit trying to figure out what the course, you know, whether you can actually get through the course. But yeah, I'm shooting myself a bit about whether I can do a half decent 10 What's the course like? It's pancake flat. Okay. You have lots of U-turns. Uh, so it's, oh, it's, so there's quite it's, a bit of turning. It's s- slow course. So I'm, I'm making the excuses already. I'm hearing it well. Um, but, and, and because I'm not in great shape, you know, I really want to run 30, low 35. Um, so it's averaging three minutes, 30 per K. But at the moment, the pace is feeling pretty, um, quite hard. And well, I'm, yeah, I've done that pace relatively comfortably before. So based I'm, on the V dot that you did last week, John, you oh, should that be happening. You, what's that? that? That was poor compared to. I was going to say because you're you're looking at a thirty six. Yeah, yeah. Thirty six oh four. Yeah, no, I need to go quicker than that. As long as it's got a thirty five in it, I'll be somewhat happy. Thirty five high, pretty annoyed, but I want to be close to thirty five zero zero. So I'm back on the EE from uh, from today actually, and haven't been on it for a while, so because I haven't been racing or anything like that, and I'm expecting some big gains over the next little period. And look, we hear so many athletes saying, you know, it does only take a couple of days to kick in. And, you know, what I'm expecting to see and hoping to see is, A, a lift in my performance. Um, but I've got a couple of, you know, a couple more hard sessions to go. Uh, so I want to just see if I can get a little boost in performance. When is it two weeks? training and also in my racing. And I'll hopefully bounce back because haven't done a lot of hard running and my legs get beat to crap when I go back to the hard running on the road. Uh, so hoping I'll bounce back from it quickly as well. Are you going to try to get a team in the road nationals? We will have a team. I think I'm here. Yes. So we have Christchurch Shakaroa Road Relay. What leg will you do? I'll tell you what leg I'm not doing. <laughs> leg one or leg seven. What are they? What are they? So leg one has got about, you You start from near Bevan's place and you've got about 4K uphill and then 4K straight down. Oh, downhill. so they go, so does it go, what does it go? Does it go down? This is going to mean anything to No, but just so for us. Yeah. So, so it's up to the, up to the Kiwi. You've got 4Ks of gentle climbing. Yeah, that's a good climb. Um, Do you run up Harrier or on the road? On the road, okay. I think. And then you've got 4K of you know, ballpark average 10%. Down. As, so that goes down know. the other side of Dyes Pass? Yeah. <gasps> 4K Running. straight down. Yeah. <gasps> and then, I don't know where the changeover from that one is. I think then you've got another little climb and then you've got to drop down another hill. Oh, that person's So I'm not beaten. doing that one and I'm not doing the other downhill league, which is basically... I don't know how long the leg is, but it's about 7K straight downhill. This is ruining your legs, isn't yeah. it? It's Any leg well, those people, if you're doing leg one or leg seven, extreme endurance, get on it. Get on it now in so, preparation for that race. So I'm looking for my, my looking for my AE and promo code IMTALK20 uh, if you want 20% discount off. And we get so much good feedback. So if you're racing, get on it. Okay. Also, uh, John, our patrons, uh, thank you to all the patrons of the show, Jombo. If you want to email us, you can email us at imtalkpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to get the show emailed to you, just go to www.imtalk.me and there's a place where you can just put your information in. John, what's your goss? Bevan, we, one thing we didn't do, and I, I don't think either of us have got big contributions for this, but the discussion of the week, we didn't say if we'd overcome any adversity. I've only really had to come over, overcome 
you know, stomach issues, you know, vomiting and stuff, which yeah. I don't know, that's not that big a deal. I once had my yeah. Aerobuzz break. Yeah. Yeah. In a race. Yeah, and I'm in New Zealand. Yeah. I remember those the flip down ones. Yes, yeah, with the pads. Yeah, yeah. and um, it, the, the flip, one of the flip downs broke off. Ah, and uh, but I was if you listen to the show years ago, you would have heard me talk about this. But 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 what happened was, I was really quite. A, it was one of those moments where it could have been crap, and you actually feel really proud of yourself because actually, what happened was, I used to always carry some tape in my mm. gear, which I, I recommend you do. Do mm. you do that? I don't. Yeah, so I just carried like you know plumber's tape. Yep. You know, just a little bit, of, and it was worked out perfectly because basically, the 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 leverage didn't break off the the little pad where you put your arm on very yep. off. So, I had some tape with me, mm. and I used one of my um, tires, oh, right. one of my tubes, yeah. and I put it on there, taped it on. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I don't remember these ever saying that. Yeah, I thought, I thought, and so it came a moment which could have. It wasn't the end of the race, but it would have been uncomfortable. Mm. Um, so, like, I was really proud of myself. So it became a bit of a C moment. So, yeah, that was for me. What, what about you? Yeah, no, I haven't. I've, I've crashed in a couple of races where I've had that had to overcome that, but I wouldn't have. You know, one was into some thistles and stuff, and that wasn't that comfortable. Yeah. Uh, and of course, I've had some stomach issues and bonks and stuff, but nothing. You know, no, no major. Cr- well, no, I have had one major crash where I had to pull out, but uh, no, what happened no, there? Um, uh, just crashed. World Cup race in a, in Auckland, and it was raining, and I crashed and took out Cornered. someone else. No, I was going in a straight line. <laughs> <laughs> Why? I had a big bump and uh, it was pissing with rain and I just went gripping tight. We were in a group and just was and, and I took down someone else as well. What's the scariest moment you've had in your career which you got through but you were like, Oh my god, if if that could have been bad. Oh, that's just easy just downhill riding and, and but do you, do you have, do you have and, a moment? Oh, I, have, yeah. I have two moments. Yeah, one was when we had a wide load coming up a, up a hill and we were going down and all the cars stopped. So was, <gasps> you basically couldn't, you know, you were zigzagging between cars because you couldn't stop and hoping you weren't going to go headfirst into the truck. Wow. So I have two. I remember one time we did, what's the Tour of Vineyards? Remember that in yeah. Nelson? I used to go up there every year. And one year we were just coming down this really fast hill and the whole pack's together. So mm. a mess bunch of guys. And it was really wet, so it was really slippery. And so you just had to ride it out. Mm. And I was just crapping myself. And, and mm. you got to the bottom of that hill and it was like, thank God for that. And then one on one of the epic camps, mm. we went up Arthur's Pass. Yeah. I think we were on the West Coast side and we rode mm. – I think it was an added ride, and we rode up Arthur's Pass, and we rode to the top, turned around, came down, and it was a wet day. This is this is twenty percent in places plus downhill. Yeah, and my brakes weren't working. Mm. Like, well, well they were, they were slowing me down by like one k. Yeah, and and you you go off that big that big, it's not a bridge, but a built a kind of um, viaduct. Yeah, big like viaduct. A big viaduct, and so you're coming off that, and the cornering, <laughs> it, ain't, it ain't easy cornering. It's pretty, yeah. and I'm. God knows how I didn't come off first of all, but oh my God, my heart where it was like through my just coming through my mouth, it was so scary. Pretty exhilarating though when you get through. Oh, it, when you get to the bottom of it, yeah. So, but it was just like because I was you're just going for it, and you and like I'm gripping for dear life, and nothing's mm. happening, yeah. and you just think I was going to get through this, and I I managed to do it, but God, man, that was not a fun time in my life. John, what's your goss? What's my goss? I organized a race yesterday with the Canterbury Secondary Schools Duathlon champs, and it uh, yeah, more or less. Decent drizzle all the way through. It's one of those things. It's really hard when you're what organizing What do you have at this time events. of year? Sorry? What do you have at this time of uh, year? Duathlon is kind of a winter sport. Uh, for the peeps. Yeah. So <laughs> anyhow, forecast was it was going to be crap, then it was going to be okay. And then the night before, once we'd all set it all up, it said it was going to be average. But it kind of said maybe some scattered showers. It was sort of, once they, once they kicked off, it was persistent. Luckily, with this race, and this is probably the savings grace, we do it at a race car track, and they have cover, so there's like pit lane garages, oh, so nice. you can you can get out of the rain. So it's cold while you're racing, but you can actually get out of the... the How the many kids? Out. Oh, not that many. 
Not many. If not any. Sort of 80, 90, something like that. Oh, nice. It's a good time. So that and then going skiing this week. Oh, down pick Tick- it up. Going down to Tikapo for a few days with the final hour. Are you good ski? I'm okay. Yeah. No, I, was, I mean, I've skied since What's I was the body kid, like so. after a ski? Uh, I don't ski much these days, but yeah, it takes a real beating. Real beating. Another good reason to be on extreme endurance. How long will you ski for in a day? Oh, back in the day, you were cranking it, mate. You're getting value for money. You were getting as many runs in in one day as you can. What, do you, what does it cost you to go skiing? Uh, I think a ticket's about 80 bucks now. Depends on where you go, with fields we go. I think it's about 80 bucks. Is it each? Yep. So it's not a cheap day. No, no, it adds up quick. <laughs> yeah. so how many days do you go? Just one day or? Uh, we'll do three. Yeah. Mate, you're loaded. Yeah, mate. <laughs> this podcasting, I tell you. This podcasting He's in the money. is lucrative. <laughs> yeah. Extremely lucrative. Oh, I'll make sure you're retiring next week. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've just had enough of it. Any other goss? Wait a second. Is there any traditions when you go for your, because you do this every year, don't you? What traditions, what rituals do you have in place? Don't have any rituals. I want to. I want to see the kids have a good crash every year. <laughs> I've got this gold one that you know. One of the first times kids properly skiing, and I thought I'll get the phone out and I'll film Thomas. And he's get going coming down. He's going, hey, and then he just hacks <laughs> it. it, just full face plant. It was brilliant. We watched it the other day. It was great. So no, the real traditions. So just get up father. there and get on the side. Do you it's get, gonna be cool. get a trolley one night. Who do you go with? This year we're going Blunder's family. Oh, so do you get trolley by night? They drink a bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. every night. Yeah. That would be correct. <laughs> Bevan, what's happening in your world? Well, the rugby. Oh, I watched the rugby. I didn't watch it at the rugby, but Crusaders. Apparently it was a great atmosphere. I didn't go either, but, but great okay. atmosphere. Yeah. Cool. Crusaders, dominant team. Mm-hmm. Dominant team. So watch And the Warriors won? Watched a bit of that as well. Yeah. Went down to Dunedin last weekend. Nice. Been to Dunedin in a while. Couldn't tell you, the last time I went through Dunedin was biking through on length of New Zealand in 2011. I, I guarantee guess. nothing's changed in Dunedin <laughs> since the time you've been there. They're getting a hotel, aren't they? Well, they've got the stadium. Yeah, That's where the one, they can look at us and go, you schmucks, look at your poor stadium. Because mm. they do have the stadium. And Dunedin, yep. They, so they have an indoor rugby stadium. Which it's is for fantastic. the size of the town, it's perfect. It's, yeah. you know, probably 20,000, maybe 25,000. Like yeah. Um, so we went to Dunedin. I haven't seen Mission Impossible yet. Oh, you let you, Joe be happy? Yeah, Joe will be. Well, I don't know, but I'm off to Wellington this weekend, but I'm working, so I've got Wellington this weekend. So I'm not quite sure if I'm going to have to see it. Why? Oh, yeah, it's just too busy, John. It's tough. It's, it's, I'm not busy, busy, John. Yeah, it sounds like it. I just, I just, You're prioritising in other areas of your life. I need a race, John. That's what I need to think about. Because I'm not doing New York. It's, it's 100% confirmed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got our money back on the accommodation, so nobody needs to worry about that. Oh, we were stressing. Nobody actually offered, so there you go. Uh, so the money back on the accommodation. So New York isn't happening, although I'm going to Amsterdam the week before. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's cool. But um, I probably need to find myself a race. What do you reckon, John? What race Walk a marathon. Uh, to, no, it's not a good time. I need it to be November, December. I could do Queenstown again. Defend my title. All right. Yeah. Defend, I don't think I'll win it again. Yeah. Because, so maybe I won't defend my time. <laughs> maybe we'll do the marathon in Queenstown. Who knows? Uh, other than that, John, no, that's pretty much life. Love so remember, guys, we've got our Legends of Triathlon podcast that's out this week. So go check out Sheila Tormina there. And uh, that's about it. That's not much up. happening this weekend in racing. So we'll see what we can bring up for you guys next week. I'm Russ. I'm in it. Train hard. Train smart. Kick her.